Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Gradual Enthusiasm. We are your hosts, T. And AJ. Today, we talk about how coming together in groups can create safe spaces and better youth education. We have several questions and guests to discuss these topics. To start off with, here's a short introduction from our guests. Hi, my name is Anusha. Um, I'm a senior at Bloomington High School, and I've lived here pretty much my whole life. We also had two community members who prefer to remain unnamed who participated in this interview as well. Um, I'm here with Miss Jade. Um, she's part of the Jewel Foundation. She is a leader. Little do you guys know, this is my favorite person in the world. She's like a second mom to me. Today, we want to explore the idea that groups in schools, the community, and work can better the lives of the youth and mentors of the community. What groups have you been a part of? Okay, well, you better get ready to start writing. I mean, I was always involved in groups, Girl Scouts, Black Student Union, Sunday School Youth Group. I currently help with the Multicultural Leadership Project. I started a group called Students Embracing Diversity. Um, I also started the Gay Straight Alliance. We call it the GSA. And I help with the Culture Club and Future Teachers of America. I'm on the board of the YWCA. I've been on the board of Babyfold. I'm involved with the League of Women Voters, and then I'm the co-chair. Well, I'm the co-chair of Not In Our Town. I'm an elder and on the board at my church. I work with the pastor's class, which is youth at our church. I had a really good teacher, mentor, and she got me to join the junior high Not In Our School, and it really piqued my interest in leadership and community. And when I got to the high school, the Not In Our School wasn't as active. My sophomore year of high school, me and my best friend, who's also part of Not In Our School um, steering committee with me, we co-founded the chapter of Not In Our School that currently exists at Bloomington High School. And I'm currently the chair of the Promise Council board at Bloomington High School. Um, and so for the past four years, the Promise Council board has been a really good way to be involved. I work part-time for a nonprofit. It's a student-led nonprofit called Diversify Our Narrative, um, but I'll refer to it as Dawn. Dawn actually started as an organization that just wanted to get anti-racist curriculum into classrooms. It's an, a grassroots organization. Their big, our big push was Bill AB 101, mandating ethnic studies in California because it was started by a group of Stanford students that then branched out nationally. Starting in a few years, the graduating classes of California public high schools will be required to take ethnic studies to graduate. The Jewel Foundation has partnered with quite a few local organizations in town. Um, Eastview Church it has been one of our uh, biggest partners, I would say. 100 Black Men of America. We are actually partnering with Usher Raymond's foundation and we have started a chapter of the Disruptivator Club. We have partnered with some Greek organizations such as Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated, Sigma Gamma Rho Incorporated, Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. The list goes on but we work collectively with local organizations really to bring quality programs to our kids to help them be successful in life.
in the community, but not in our school, not in our town. Three years ago, we have just started being welcoming. I started a couple of promise councils. One I started when I was still working in junior high, and then I started one at the high school. One of the things we were focused on at the middle school and the high school is ways in which people who identify as members of LGBTQ are perhaps marginalized or not heard in terms of their needs in the school system. So just a lot of different things. How do you think volunteering or just being a mentor helps youth in need? Uh, I think it's essential. Um, these kids, first of all, representation matters, so they need to be able to see someone that, that looks like you that's successful. Set an example, and they need to see different, different people from different walks of life mm -hmm. that are able to share their story as well. And so um, being there, establishing those relationships, I think is very essential. You all need a lot. Youth needs a lot. Being able to be exposed to that kind of helps, I think, set the pace and give youth a better understanding of long-term goals. When I think about how you accumulate your life experiences, I guess a metaphor or a, uh, a visualization of a pouch comes to mind. And I used to use the same visualization when I was teaching. When I was a beginning teacher, I was special ed, ended up ending up as a counselor at the high school. But I realized that by the time I got to that point, the, my invisible pouch had become more and more full of experiences and knowledge, good and bad, that I was able then to use in a variety of situations with a variety of people. And you can only fill your bag as you grow older and allow yourself to be in different situations and grow and learn. So the same is, same is with mentoring youth. If you are working with them and giving them everything that you can share that hopefully can help them in the situations that you're working with them in. But you can only give if you have taken the time to appreciate what you have learned over the years and kind of sort it out, maybe some of the good from the bad, but still keep the bad because you need to know what things you need to not do and, re and duplicate. We all make mistakes. Being a mentor doesn't mean you know everything. It doesn't mean you're perfect. If you're mentoring kids, working with them, talking with them, caring about their goals, their dreams, sharing some of yours, trying to match somewhere where passions are, your passions are, just, you know, being, being present for them. Usually one-on-one -on -one outside of the group, a lot of the kiddos touch base with me and just processing what they're going through or talking about what it means to them. A number of students that are have graduated from high school and some who have graduated from college still stay in touch and they frequently reach out and ask if they can come over and talk. A student who I, I knew first when he was a freshman in high school and just kind of mentored him. He's at the U of I and he contacted me this summer and said, hey, we're moving to Texas. I want to come. And he talked about what he learned being a leader in his high school. And he's now using those skills in leadership roles at the U of I. And one of the student leaders who's now a graduate, or she's graduated from the U of I, and she worked at Pritzker's office for a year. And now she's on 
and D.C. doing something. And again, she said she just knows that that started her leadership and her sense of what was important to her. My conclusion from that is that they gain a lot of experience, self-knowledge, a sense of success from the things they've done because they're not doing things that are just little little things to make them feel good. They're doing things that really make a difference. Having groups for students helps them develop for their future and have fun in the present. How has your gender, race, sexuality affected your life? Personal, professional, student, home, or community? Well, my family is very diverse. So in, in many, many ways, gender identity and race, sexuality, I'm just very diverse. So personally, it's just kind of part of our family. Professionally, that's those are the things that were always on my radar. Our school district had a an agreement with a, a local gym. They offered discount memberships to the gym for school employees and their spouse. This was certainly before marriage equality. When I got the notice that you can your spouse can join too, and so I replied and said. What about people who aren't married because they don't have the legal status to marry because of our, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the response I get, nope, this is the way we do it. And so I just kind of got a bunch of other people together and to push back. And we're attuned to that, to always be alert to barriers, to equal access to whatever. I went to a predominant, I mean, I still go to predominantly white institutions, but I went to a very predominantly white elementary school. I don't think that I fully understood how ingrained the pillars of whiteness really impacted me, whether that is Eurocentric standards of beauty or the centering of traditionally like white American culture, practices, beliefs. Um, I never realized how essential they were to the way of being here. I misspoke. The junior high and high school actually are not predominantly white. Um, but my classes were predominantly white because of the way that the honors and AP classes are structured, usually students of color aren't identified as being capable of taking those classes, which as a side note is completely ridiculous. I know so many of my friends who are in quote unquote regular classes, students of color, and honestly are smarter than most peers that I have in my classes. That is a loaded question. As a black woman, I have experienced a lot of different things starting from school and professionally in my career because as a black woman, the one thing that's common is that we always have to prove we're equal or, you know, and not even to say better, but we have to do more just more. to prove that we are equal. We have the same level of intelligent, common sense, logic, and ability to do everything else that our male counterparts can do mm -hmm. or white counterparts can do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up as an African-American child in Chicago, Illinois, which is one of the most segregated cities in the country. So I'm 68 years old. So I was preteen and teen in the late 60s, early 70s when everything was going on with civil rights. You know, all those things had an effect on my life. I used to go to Operation Push or Operation Breadbasket every Saturday and listen to Jesse Jackson speak to the youth 
during my high school years who motivated to be active in a social justice way within our community and within our larger world. I had um, all the adults and people in my life stressed the importance of voting, stressed the importance of education um, in order to, to level the playing field so I could be able to do the best I could do in my life to have an education, get a good job. Um, so all that stuff was stressed to me when I was young. And then seeing all the things that happened in the 60s and early 70s, you know, going through Vietnam War, all, all those things left imprints on me. So um, part of the issue, too, within my family is we have a lot of people that are very light-skinned. None of us ever tried to pass for white, but we had situations where white people felt comfortable around us enough, not knowing exactly what we were, that they would say things about black people or other people that were negative. And then we had to stand up and say, um, excuse me, you've just said, you've just insulted my, me and my family. <laughs> and my mother, my mother went through this since she moved, before she moved down here growing up. And when she got down here living in different senior citizen buildings, she was typically one of just a few black people. But they, the old white people looked at her. They didn't know she was black. And they would sit around in their little coffee clutches and start talking about things and using the N-word. And my mom would have to abruptly stand up and, you know, say whatever she said and left and never sat with them again. It's hard to have lived through that period and not go out of those decades not having something in your heart or your mind that deals with social justice, civil rights, unless you were just, you know, completely blind. Do you think those who have not experienced diversity or discrimination make good allies? I think it depends on the person's intentionality. If they really care about other people and they want to learn and understand, then I think they're perfectly capable of that. But if their perspective is informed only by their personal experiences, I think it's very hard for them to be a good ally. I mean, it has to be an intentional exploration and self-education. After George Floyd's murder, my husband posted something on Facebook because he and I had a little incident with the police. I don't know if we were in the city during 2020, but we had a Never Trump 2020 sign in our yard. And one of our neighbors, they both had Trump signs in their yard. We, you know, we don't care. We don't care. You can have in your yard whatever you want to put. But someone with a car that looked like mine drove by their house and blared uh, music with expletives about Trump and two children were on the yard. So the man took it upon himself to drive around the neighborhood and look for a car that looked like the description of his wife had told him about. And it was silver, silver, silver sedan. Well, AJ, I don't know about you, but there is more than one silver sedan in Bloomington Normal. And especially, especially a Hyundai. Uh, Hyundai's quite popular here. So that particular day that he's driving around, I had left my car out in front of our house the night before because I was sick. I had groceries and I wanted to bring the groceries through the front because it's less stairs and I never went back out to move my car. I just left it out. So he pulls up. This is per my neighbor. He 
pulls up, he's taking pictures of my license, and my neighbor is out working, and he goes over and talks to her and asks her, does she know whose car this is? And she lies, and she says no. So he says, well, I'm just going to sit here so the owner of this house comes out. And he proceeded to sit in his truck. She went in the house and called me and told me that this guy was out there. He was waiting for either me or my husband to come out of the house. So he eventually left. But then a little bit later, the Bloomington police come. He had called and complained and accused us of pulled up in front of his house with his news. Now, what he left out of the story was his wife saw two young people, a girl driving the car with a boy that did not match the description of two 60-something-year-old black people. But that fact didn't seem to deter him from calling the police on us. And he knew us because he'd been, he and his wife and his two kids walked around the neighborhood. We had introduced ourselves to them a long time ago and we had told them it was just me and my husband and my mom, who's 96, that lived in this house. But that didn't deter me. The police come, instead of the police asking us, you know, have you been out in your car today? Or, you know, this incident happened with some young people. Did you loan your car to anyone today? They just came up and started telling us what we did. You know, you did this and you did that and you did the other thing. And we were like, excuse us. We haven't done anything. I'm sick. My husband's been here. We don't go around driving in front of people's houses. Well, you have a never Trump sign on your yard. Yeah. <laughs> So because we have a never Trump sign and the guy had a Trump sign, pro-Trump, it just had to be us. Like, no, it wasn't us. So if this thing went viral, we were in the paper because we wrote a letter to the city council. We wrote it to the mayor. We just told everybody about it. So this is on the heels of George Floyd. This man is standing out here with a gun in his holster. And our conversation was going south real fast. You know, both of us active in the community. My husband is on the Public Safety and Community Review Board that works with the police for complaints. He was the chair of it. And he's out there accusing us of something that we didn't do and as mature as we were and as patient as we were we could feel the anger rising up and to the degree where we about lost it and i could see really how things go where people lose it and then the police end up feeling threatened and you end up dead because of course we don't have any guns in our house so we, we kept our composure as much as we could but it was really difficult he finally backed off when i demanded he kept saying he had a video of it so i demanded to see the video then he realized then he said then he acknowledged he didn't have a video of it he had just lied because he said well i figured you would confess to it after, after enough time of me pressing you and i said i don't confess to, i don't confess to things that i didn't do you got the wrong people. You messed with the wrong people. So we went to the police chief, who my husband already knew because he works with them. Because of the review board, we talked about police tactics, police questioning. Um, just it led to a whole big thing. So out of that experience, people came out of the woodwork wanting to help. And when my husband posted our experience and some stuff on uh, Facebook, he also put a link to a website where I think it's titled a hundred and something ways to be an ally, you know, and it's addressed to white people. And he got a lot of feedback from that. People texted him and messaging him, you know, they read it and they committed to being an ally and yada, yada, yada. I think they have the ability to be good allies, but there's a lot of learning that will need to take place in their space. So as human beings, we don't really understand. We don't, you know, have true empathy. 
and it's hard when you don't experience it yourself you can absolutely be an ally even when you don't personally experience it but there's a need you can't be entitled to things to think that you're an ally and you don't do the work right you got to do the work you got to you got to research you got to mm-hmm. read you got to build relationships right mm-hmm. so even as you you know get all of this education or you do all of the readings sometimes it's also building relationships where you invite someone that doesn't look like you to your house for dinner Oh, that's an interesting question. I'm going to co-opt your question a little bit. There is this great reading that was written by Indigenous authors, and it talks about allies versus accomplices. An ally is someone who cares about the cause, who will fight alongside you, but because of various reasons, they are not willing or able to take the full step, to fully challenge the system with everything they have. And for that reason, I think that people who have not experienced diversity and discrimination make awesome allies. And it's not a dig it's just to say that for example in any movement to get equity for people of color white people are great at being able to help us push for reform because their positionality allows them benefit of the doubt they have a greater grip on the issue and they're able to mobilize it better especially at local levels or in cases of lgbtq right you know straight allies you know maybe can't understand the issues but they can help mobilize the issues however there is this barrier, right, where you can't understand the experience. You do not have as much at stake as the other person. And so when things get real, as they often do in these situations, they have the privilege of taking a step back, of saying, okay, I've given what I can. This doesn't really affect me. And so I can take a step back. It's for my mental health. You know, it's too dangerous for me. My parents don't approve. And that leaves, you know, the people who are the stakeholders just like, what are we supposed to do? It's not to say that, like, we're not capable of doing it. It's saying that the fight requires numbers. It requires dedication and allies, you know, are supposed to be people who are dedicated. But the reality is an ally is someone who is in it for as long as it is convenient for them. And that could be years. You could be so dedicated to the fights for 20 years as a white person. But maybe you have kids and settle down and suddenly it's not appropriate not as an ally. So I think they do make good allies, but I don't think they make good accomplices. It sounds a little negative. Um, It sounds a little criminal. And I think that that is intentional because an accomplice is someone who, in a sense of crime, is someone who commits the crime with you and they get put away with you. They are in it no matter what happens because they believe so deeply in the cause. They have as much of a stake as you do, even if, you know, materially they don't. And that is what makes them such good partners because no matter what happens, no matter what stake they have, they're in it. They're in it for as much as you make and as much as you lose. And traditionally, it will not be people who have you know not experienced diversity or discrimination to do that with you because they're not angry enough they're not upset enough they're not invested enough and there's really no way for them to be unless something has happened or they have met someone who instills that into them to answer your question yes they make great allies but i think what we need today is accomplices and in that sense no they don't people need experiences to help them grow by participating in groups at all ages we can educate everyone on how to keep safe spaces Thank you to everyone who was able to participate in this podcast. This was a great experience. I concur. It was great interviewing everybody and having similar ideas come from different people when they hadn't heard what each other said. Mm-hmm.